What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And today, I had a very special guest on the show. I had Pop's own Danny Larson on the show to talk about her story, which is incredibly inspiring. Uh, Danny first shared her story with me uh, a little while ago, and it and it literally brought me to tears. And I wanted to share that because she is an inspiration. She's overcome a lot. We talked about uh, her battle with eating disorders. We talked about uh, some of the stuff she went through in her personal life, uh, from you know her her parents getting divorced to her, her father having a heart attack, and uh, all of the pressure that was on her from a young age. Um, something that a lot of us can relate to, especially when we're talking about the pressure that's put on women to uphold a certain physical standard and just diet culture in general. Um, we talked a lot about the mindset around uh, you know, overcoming some of these mental barriers that come up with diet culture. So this was a episode that was full of powerful takeaways. I know you guys are going to enjoy Danny's story. And if you do, if it resonates, please let us know by tagging us on Instagram. Just take a screenshot, post it to your stories, tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And Danny is at Energizer21, but it's E-N-3-R-G-1-Z-E-R-21. Enjoy the episode. All right, guys, I'm joined by a very special guest, the newest member of the POP family, one of our coaches, Danny Larson. First of all, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So I wanted to get you on the show because you sent me a video breaking down like your whole backstory, which I really didn't know up until that point. Um, I had, you know, we've known each other for a little while and I've kind of paid attention to your journey, but I didn't realize um, just how many layers deep it, it really went. And it, um, it blew me away and actually, you know, really brought me to tears and wanted to share that since you were so willing to open up and share that with me. I felt like the listeners of, of my show would really resonate uh, with everything that you've been through to be where you are now and to now be coaching people. I knew from that moment that you were going to inspire and change a lot of lives and you've already done that, but it's going to you know continue from there. And I think just um, getting your story out there is important. So um, I want to start at the beginning, which is like, tell me how you originally got into health and fitness and what your first introduction to even like dieting and, and going down that path. And we'll just start at the very beginning. Sure. So I actually, I didn't get into health and fitness until much later. I think like growing up, I I definitely remember like my parents dieting. I remember like diet culture was really big. I mean, I'm I'm 35, so um I remember like really having a lot of like food fixations when I was young and like paying a lot of attention to my body. Um I was never really like an athletic kid at all. I was into um theater and dance in in um grade school and high school. And I was really into a lot of more like image-based things with acting. Um, and oh my gosh, let's see. I really just kind of found that that was something that made me kind of fixate on my body a little bit more. So, um, health and fitness really came much later, actually, when I was recovering from, um, an eating disorder, kind of when I found, CrossFit and started coming into weightlifting 
and really focusing on kind of what my body could do versus what it looked like. Um, can we totally start over, Mike? Oh my gosh. No, no, we're totally fine. <laughs> um, so I want to know, like when you started thinking about, you know, through dance and through acting and there was some, some pressure, it seems like to maintain a certain body image. And um, if you, you know, if you remember some of like the early, I guess, internal pressure and external to maintain a certain appearance or be a certain size, whether it was from um, a dance instructor or just any like influence that you had, which so many women, you know, still go through where there's just, you know, when you look at magazines, when you look at social media and Instagram, um, there's this, you know, ideal image or quote unquote ideal image, because oftentimes it's unsustainable and not even a real portrayal. But um, talk about the the early influence and, and just some of the, the pressure that you felt to maintain a certain body image or appearance? So I remember like being six and I remember looking at like my cousins were both very lean individuals. Um, My mom had a lot of preoccupation with her body too. And I remember like my parents being on like the cabbage soup diet and things like that. And I definitely had like food fixations when I was a kid. I think I had a lot of anxiety and that's where I channeled my anxiety was kind of through control of food and I didn't really understand any moderation. Like I remember if my parents would fight, my mom would, you know, like make hot fudge or something like that. There was just not really a great amount of moderation and I internalized a lot of that. So then like going into high school, um, my parents actually separated a couple of times and then finally divorced right before my freshman year of high school. And um, at the time I was overweight, but, you know, not too much had really come out of that. And when my parents divorced um, was kind of when I fell into um, becoming bulimic. And at first it just kind of like, I I totally know it was a control. And it also was like, well, this is a way that I can lose weight. Like, look, I can, I can have what I want. And there's like no consequences. At least it seemed like there were no consequences. And then I definitely um, began to have like a restrictive mindset as well with that. So I, it, it just kind of spiraled. Like I, I remained very high functioning in high school. I was Um, I was in dance. I had the leads in plays. I was a really good student. I looked like everything was perfect on the outside, but I think a lot of people knew that I was really sick. And it felt like the longer that I stayed in that, the more out of control it would become. Like a lot of my day was focused on, um, focused on like food thoughts and fixations with food. Um, and it just, it spiraled and there were times where I felt like I was trying to have like a little bit better control, but again, I didn't really know any kind of like moderation. I only knew like all or nothing. And with, I mean, everything out there is eat less, move more. And if you do that continually, like you're starving and if you're continually nutrient deprived, you, you can't think straight. And so Um, I eventually did go off to college still. And I went to a school that was really big into exercise sports science. And so I began lifting weights my freshman year. I got super into rock climbing. Um, I actually was kind of like, quotes, healthy. um, Because I, I convinced myself that since I wasn't purging at the time, I was healthy. But I had like ridiculous food rules. I, you know, wouldn't, I ate very low fat. I 
couldn't like have any treats, just everything like that. And then I spent probably, I was at the gym at least three times for probably like six hours a day. And at that school, I feel like a lot of that kind of flew under the radar because there were so many athletes and so many people that were really into competitive sports. And so it was really my sophomore year. Um, my dad ended up um, having a heart attack. So he had, he had had a heart attack my freshman year um, of high school. And then he had a second heart attack in my sophomore year of college. And he and I had not had a good relationship at all. Um, he had tried, but we just, I was really angry that they had gotten divorced and we had never really seen eye to eye. And so when he had the second heart attack, he actually um, was on life support. And so I drove out to see him and it was, I mean, he was in a persistent vegetative state. And so we waited like the 72 hours that they um, have you wait to see if there's any brain activity and there wasn't. And so when your parents are divorced, the next of kin actually goes to the eldest child and I'm an only child. And so I, I mean, I had amazing family support there. My grandparents were there. My whole family was there, but I really told myself that like I killed my father. We had had, um, because I took him off of life support, ultimately, like we made the decision because that wasn't a quality of life. And even though like we didn't have a good relationship, I know that that's what he would have wanted because he wouldn't have wanted to live like that. But it's still in the state that I was in where I wasn't, I was not a healthy individual. I definitely internalized that as, you know, I am a bad person. I killed my dad. Um, with it, we had had an email exchange actually earlier that morning and had a disagreement over email. And then he had had his heart attack literally like 10 minutes after that. So the timing was, the timing was rough. And so after that, like I remember I stayed for his funeral and then I headed back to um, lacrosse and I just completely like had a breakdown. I mean, I felt, um, I felt like I was just at my end there and I needed to go into treatment because I think I realized that I couldn't function anymore physically or mentally and the load and waking up feeling that way and feeling like I was just sick and feeling like I had gone through all this stuff with my dad. I actually ended up checking myself into the, into treatment for the first time, um, which was not the last time, but I, um, I went into inpatient residential treatment and then residential treatment and then did outpatient. Tried to go back to school, again, really had food rules, um, wasn't purging for a long time. And then my junior year of college fell right back into the same behavior pattern. And that so I just was, wanna, I want to take a yeah. pause here because there's, I mean, there's so much to, to <laughs> unpack, but um, one of the things that really stands out and, Keep in mind, I am not a psychologist, but I do know from being a student of psychology and being fascinated by psychology that there is a strong connection with um, bulimia and really any sort of eating disorder with a sense of control like you talked mm -hmm. about. And even when you transition to college and you mentioned that you weren't purging, but you were 
gaining control in different forms, obsessive exercise, obsessive food thoughts. There was still a sense of control. And then when the situation happened with your father, it seems like that mindset of needing to be in control of everything, you put the responsibility and, and the onus on yourself, which, you know, as being the one in control of everything, which kind of follows suit right? Like you, you were controlling, um, you know, your, your body through diet, you were controlling the obsessive thoughts you were, you know, and it's, it's a perceived sense of control, which when it, when it manifests itself, it's that, that perceived sense of control. Um, and then it makes sense that you ended up feeling that, that burden, that weight of, you know, I did this, I was responsible because you were going down that path of trying to control everything at that point. So, um, it makes sense then, you know, you kind of hit that, uh, kind of rock bottom, so to speak, where you're like, I can't control all of these things. It feels like it was just too heavy uh, where you got to the point of wanting to get help, which, you know, was, was obviously the right thing at the time. Uh, I'm curious when you, because you went into treatment and then, you know, kind of came out of it and mentioned that some of those obsessive thoughts came back. What were like, was there any discussion around diet, your body? Was there anything um, going through the, the process of treatment that you remember um, to try to, you know, disconnect from that sense of control to, to try to improve your mindset or relationship with food? And what was that like? Well, and that's what I think is really interesting because it's a field. So I, I was in treatment a little over, let's see, when I was about 20. And so about 15 years ago, and I finished my last treatment when I was 24, so 11 years ago. And so much has changed since then. But at the time that I left, they were really big into giving you meal plans. And the first treatment program that I went into, it was pretty much your traditional, you know, get you eating, um, send, like you get onto a meal plan, you try and work through all the emotions and behaviors behind it. And then essentially you're discharged because the the one bad thing about um, eating disorder, well, no, there's there's a few things, but like that treatment is that insurance doesn't pay very long. Like they basically give you, you know, like 30 days or 60 days if you're lucky. And then it's like, well, you should be over it by now. And so a lot of times it's, I mean, that's not enough time to change a behavior. But the second program that I went through actually um, did dialectical behavioral therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy, which talks, it focuses on how you talk to yourself and how you, like, how you think about your thoughts. And so it, it had a lot more thought stopping and thought challenging and putting you in situations where they actually did like exposure therapy. So if, you know, like someone was anxious around candy, like they would start with like one really small piece and then like they would move them up to having, like holding a bag of candy, you know, which sounds so simple, but if you're able to challenge the anxious thoughts as you're in that situation in a safe place, um, my second time that I left treatment, I actually left with a lot more skills than I had taken out the first time. And I actually don't think when I went through it the first time that I was totally ready. I was frustrated, but I think there's a difference when you go into it and you're like, there is no other option versus you're like, ah, I'm going to like stick my toe in this recovery thing and like see how it goes, but not totally sure I'm there. So, but the, the work on that is, is very similar to like what health coaching is because it's, it's challenging those thoughts. And that's what I find like really fascinating now is a lot of what I did in treatment is a lot of what I do 
now just on a day-to-day basis. And I still, I mean, I think I keep a pretty tight pulse on my own behaviors. And if anything, I tend to overanalyze my own behaviors and thoughts and really, um, because I am so aware that relapses happen and, you know, there's people that say you, you never recover from an eating disorder. There are people that say complete recovery is possible. And I think it's just, it's a, it's a continuum. And so I think the, the behavioral change aspect is totally what I found the most fascinating as well. Yeah. And as you were saying that, it's exactly what I was thinking. It's, it's exactly what we do when we're working mm-hmm. through um, not believing everything that you think to be fact and, and challenging those thoughts and seeing if there's evidence to the contrary. And, and it's that self-awareness piece that I think changes everything when you can, uh, so often we just go through the motions without ever considering if those thoughts and beliefs are really rooted in any truth. And most of the time it's not, we put our own bias into it. We put our own filters onto it and um, based off of past experiences. And, you know, oftentimes uh, it's even more challenging when you're dealing with, you know, having experienced trauma in your past, but Mm -hmm. uh, the principles kind of remain the same. Uh, So picking up from, you know, you go back into treatment, which seemed like it was a much better, just timing, you were more receptive at that point and and more of a Mm -hmm. um, progressive way of doing things. Um, but you still face some some challenges after that. So let's let's pick up from from after the second round of of treatment. Yeah. So after my second round, I had been um, I had actually been in a relationship, and my relationship ended. Um, I I mean, the first few years after were so messy because I I kind of believed that if I didn't have an eating disorder, I had to eat everything. Like there again, that that black and white area where I'm like, I can't have any of these behaviors. Like I can't, I have to just be able to eat everything and be okay. And so I actually like, I gained a lot of weight and I still had like episodes of um, binging and purging. And then I just had episodes of binge eating. And so I got to a point where I was just, I was very uncomfortable with my body weight because it, it just, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to find a balance after, after all of that. And I had never been comfortable in my body. Um, and I, I just, I started a lot of therapy again. I, I did that for a lot of, I eventually got into a a relationship with, I always joke that my husband is actually, um, a psychologist by training. His first, his first job is, um, that. So I, I got into a relationship with someone that actually really understood me and the journey that I was on and just kind of accepted me for where I was in that. Um, but the real, the first thing that really started to make me dig my heels in was when I got pregnant with my first child. And I was like, I can't, I can't raise a kid with these behaviors. I was still having um, lots of binging episodes. I didn't want to, I didn't want to have those behaviors when I was raising a kid. And so I actually um, found CrossFit and that was really the first introduction that I had to something that, because at the time CrossFit was really big into paleo, um, but they also kind of had the, you know, fuel your body to lift heavy weights. And I loved it. I loved that I could do something that made me feel really strong. And it was a different feeling for my body because I had always been in a culture that encouraged me to be less. And so it was really the first introduction of my body can be strong instead of 
continually trying to be less. And so I joined a nutrition company at the time, which was not, I mean, ultimately was not a great fit, but it kind of got me eating more food and realizing that if I ate food, I was stronger. And it's where I was first introduced to macros and, you know, really seeing that if I ate carbohydrates before a workout or if I ate carbohydrates after a workout, I would recover better. And it really was fascinating for me. And then the second thing where I really feel like I was getting on a very, very good path was when I, when I had my girls too, because obviously not that men absolutely can have eating disorders and do, and there were men in my treatment center, but I think the greater propensity is towards females that have it. And being raised by someone that was dieting, I did not want my kids to ever see me diet, hear me talk about my body poorly anything like that. I wanted them to see a mom that had a good relationship with her body, that could eat cupcakes, that could do those things and be mentally healthy and strong. And so that was really, I mean, it's always a journey. It's always going to continue to be a journey. And I'm always going to find something that I can continue to work on. But that was really, those were the things that really kind of pushed me finally in that direction and just gave me more of an interest in health and nutrition overall. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I think it's important uh, to mention, which, which you covered, the fact that coming out of the, the restrictive mindset and working through some of that, the, the pendulum swung in the other direction, which, which I experienced myself for a number of years, where you go from <laughs> being so restrictive and depriving yourself. And then it's like, all right, well, now that I don't have these food rules, I'm just going to eat everything and anything. And uh, it becomes a different form of kind of disordered eating behavior and just eating for the sake of eating, not paying attention right. to, uh, to hunger and fullness and um, ignoring your body in a different way. Uh, so like you talked about that balance, which is was such a, a buzzword, but it is, it is important. It's also challenging. So there's kind of this, this blend of paying attention to what your body's communicating um, and, and understanding some of those, those thoughts. But the other thing that you mentioned was the, uh, that you were this mindset around not wanting your kids to pick up on any of those behaviors uh, that you picked up on. And, and that's really where it all starts for, for all of us when we have um, thoughts around specific foods and food limitations and um, you know kind of this all or nothing mindset. Most of the time, we picked up on that at some point during our childhood from either from parents or from, you know, school or any sort of, you know, environment that, you know, has an influence on us as we're in our younger years. Um, we're, we're very, kids are observant. Kids are, you know, they're perceptive. They pick up on the way that we talk about food, the way that we talk about our bodies. Um, you know, I've talked about this uh, from a personal standpoint as well, going through, um, you know, some, some disordered eating behaviors myself, but then also almost losing my sister to anorexia. And a lot of that um, mm -hmm. had to do with just, you know, diet culture, the way that we, you know, my parents talked about food, nothing was intentional. It was just, that's what they knew. Um, and, and, you know, we, we pick up on those things. So um, to have the foresight of being like, you know what, I want to set a better example and do things in the right way and talk about, you know, the empowerment of, you know, health and fitness and how strong I can get and how I can move my body and feel good and um, coming from a place of more uh, an empowering standpoint, I think is amazing. So at what point during that 
that process as you're starting to learn more about you know finding balance for yourself, um, finding what feels right for you. And, and as you mentioned, it's a constant work in progress. Um, at what point did you find yourself um, feeling the, the urge to, to pay it forward and, and help other people? I would say, I mean, it was, it was before my girls were born for sure that I, I mean, my husband's been telling me for a few years that he's like, you need to look like, you need to lean into the health and fitness thing. And I, I think I still, and I hear this sometimes, but I still believed that I had to look a certain way or be a certain way or have certain titles. And a lot of that is I'm, I'm a hugely perfection, perfectionistic individual like that. That is just something that I struggle with. Um, but I really, like, it was in, I would say, the past two years. And I kind of came to this point where I was like, I feel like I need to be doing more. I feel like I want I want to get the message out there that you can recover. I want to be able to touch other people's lives in the ways that, you know, certain in, other individuals have touched mine. So I, um, actually, at the beginning of the year, I signed up for um, my personal training certification, which I'll be completing this next month, which is really exciting. Um, and I had tried doing some nutrition um, coaching with a different company and it just wasn't, it wasn't a good fit. I wanted, I wanted to have like more time with clients. I really wanted to be able to get to know everyone as an individual and what drove them, what made them tick, everything like that, because I, I love people and I love getting to know people. Um, and, and that's when I just kind of like dogged you for a while too about like, Hey, can I work for you? But it was really, it's been this last year because I just felt like there was something missing that I wanted. I wanted to pay it forward. And I realized in my spare time, I listened to, you know, health and fitness podcasts and I love to learn about all of that. And I love to hear recovery stories and I love to see people change their relationship with their bodies and their relationship with food. It's just, it's, it's life changing. Like for me, that's absolutely life changing to not have to like go to social events and have anxiety. I mean, I just remember holiday events and I would either like starve myself for days before, which would never end well, or just have like crippling anxiety the whole time. And that's, that's just no way to live. Yeah, I couldn't. And there's so much more. Yeah. 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 And I think that the one thing you mentioned, which I want to highlight because there's a lot of coaches that listen to this show as well, it's the the feeling, and I absolutely have felt this way. And, you know, I think it's a constant battle that we have to have all of our shit together in order to be a coach. Like we have to look a certain way. We have to like be dialed in on our nutrition all the time. And we have to be like this model of perfection in order to be a coach. And it just could not be further from the truth. Um, People want relatability. People want, you know, a a coach where they can see themselves in your story and and realize that you know you've been through it you you've been through what they're going through the same struggles that you have they have as well and um, you know that's really it's it's a tough it's like that imposter syndrome because sometimes we feel like if we don't look the part or if we don't have it all under control then like who are we to tell somebody else what to do but um, it's just one of those those mindset hurdles that everybody if you're a coach or aspiring coach needs to get over because you have have all the tools to help somebody. Uh, they don't care if you can, you know, quote, you know, nutrition books and all the science and studies and whatever. It's great to have that knowledge. But the most important thing uh, is that 
you know how to help somebody get through what you're what you've gotten through and that's really um it comes down to i think just the the relatability and, and being authentic and, and vulnerable and sharing your story like you do and that's gonna you know it's it's inspired so many people already and and will continue to as you know you evolve as a coach which uh, i'm excited to see you know i've like i said we've we've known each other for a while and i've seen how far you've come already um and i'm excited to see that that growth continue to happen i want to kind of continue to dig in a little bit on the mindset side of things because yeah. you talked about the the liberating feeling of of no social anxiety of being able to go out and enjoy yourself um, talk about that that transition for yourself of what it used to feel like prior to you know kind of working through your own stuff of you know wanting to to go out to dinner or you know whatever you know your thing was and um, some of those thoughts that used to come up to where you're at now um, and and some stuff that's just been helpful for you throughout that process so I mean way back in the very beginning it would be you know I would just try to avoid those situations and then you know, there was always, if I did go, I would try to eat minimally or I would try to just eat like vegetables or I would, you know, I tried everything. I was like, I should eat before I go. I should not eat for like two days before. I mean, I felt like I just couldn't approach any of those social situations in a healthy manner. Um, and it was really like much later. I mean, I would say like within the past five years that I've really been okay going into social situations. And a lot of it started with when I came out of treatment, as hokey as it seemed, I had affirmations written everywhere. Like I literally had laminated posters of like positive affirmations. So I could not even turn around in my home without seeing something positive written down. And it felt like I felt like Stuart Smalley, like, you know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And people like me. I totally felt like that. But it, you can tell yourself that. And after, like as silly as it seems, after a period of time, like it started to retrain my brain to be positive. And it's like I had this negativity bias and I really had to work on retraining the way that I thought. If I had a negative thought about my body, I had to stop and be like, okay, what is the worst that could happen if this thought is true? Is it? And it was always something like, it's not that I gained five pounds. It's that I feel like I failed or I'm a disappointment and people won't like me. And then it's like, oh, well, that's unrealistic. Like, that's not true. So I felt like for the first like five years of my recovery, I was constantly in my head because I was constantly trying to change the way that I thought. And with time, it became more and more easy to identify like the thought patterns that I had that were flawed. But it really, I mean, it was like a full-time job. They say that recovery from something is a full-time job. And it's absolutely true because you need to be on point. I had to surround myself with people that were positive. I had to surround myself with friends that respected my decision to not drink to, you know, like for a while it was like go to certain restaurants that were safer before going to other places. I mean, it really was just continual baby steps and continual work because a lot of my recovery, I was not in therapy and I was essentially doing it myself through journaling, through positive affirmations, through weightlifting, through finding things that I could channel myself into in a positive way. Yeah. Um, I love that you mentioned the the environment and who you surrounded yourself with. Um, one of the most powerful quotes that I'm pretty sure it was James Clear. 
um, who wrote the book Atomic Habits, which I highly recommend to anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, He said something along the lines of, and I'm probably going to get the quote wrong, but it was something along the lines of, um, join a community where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. So Mm -hmm. if you're trying to accomplish something, and I I just think about our pop community, if you're trying to, you know, become a better version of yourself and have a better relationship with food and work through some of those challenges and, you know, pursue the best version of you, whatever that looks like, you know, we all celebrate the fact that we're individuals and we have, we're all on different paths, but we're really trying to accomplish the same thing in our own unique ways. And so it's, it's the normal behavior to do that. And a lot of times uh, it's, it's challenging when you are in a circle of, of friends friends that they don't have those same behaviors or they are, you know, trying to pull you back into some old habits that you want to get rid of. So it's really surrounding yourself in in a community where the desired behavior is the normal behavior. And um, all of those strategies that you talked about from avoiding social situations altogether to trying to like plan, how am I going to, you know, eat first or eat after? What am I going to do? And how do I track this? And all the same stuff that that I went through. And, um, you know, I think it's important to understand that when it comes to, you know, social situations and things like that, uh, unless you are competing, unless you're trying to step on stage, unless you're doing something extreme, uh, the advice of just track it and make it fit is not okay. (laughs) So I, you know, recently went through a, um, to get ready for a photo shoot, I was cutting pretty intensely and uh, I had a birthday celebration through that and I stayed to my plan because that was the sacrifice that that needed to be made for an extreme goal. That's not something that's sustainable. That's not something that I would do normally um, for the most part if I, and then immediately after the photo shoot, we actually had a, a follow-up birthday celebration that I could, you know, have a burger and fries and ice cream and things that I enjoy. Um, the bottom line is that when we are stressing about like, well, how am I going to make this fit? How am I going to track this? How am I going to account for this? How am I going to punish myself after the fact? Um, all these signs are uh, the red flags that we have to improve that relationship with food, the relationship with our body and the relationship with exercise. Um, and so those, those kind of obsessive thoughts, um, you know, those type of tactics that often get um, perpetuated by diet culture, um, they're kind of adding fuel to the fire of, of a disordered relationship with food. And, and so sometimes it's, it's, it's sneaky. It's like, oh, well, it's just a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle to track every restaurant meal you eat, or it's a lifestyle to account for everything, you know, account every, for every single drink that you have and every, you know, food that's quote unquote, not on your list or whatever the case may be. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up because um, to truly have that like dietary freedom that we talk about so much in, in our community, uh, it, we really have to get to a place where you can go out, you can enjoy uh, whatever, whatever your, you know, whatever your thing is. It could be, you know, a drink, it could be some pizza, it could be sushi, ice cream, whatever it is, um, to be able to enjoy it and fully be present and fully appreciate the experience and not worry about, is this, you know, going to fit within my my plan or you know it, it's it's called life we 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 want to enjoy it so um i just wanted to highlight that because i think it's a super valid point um so. yeah well and on that um i think that's like that's what i found the most interesting is you don't have to have a diagnosable eating disorder to really have a messed up relationship with food and i think that's what so much of like diet culture does is you know, eliminate 
total food groups. And that is just as debilitating, in my opinion, as having a full-blown eating disorder because you don't fit the criteria. So it's just like, well, I just, you know, have a few quirks, but it it ruins your life just as much as a full-blown eating disorder does. Yeah. And you become obsessive so. about mm-hmm. the the thing that you can't have. And um, there's, you know, I, I did a training on on kind of like mindfulness and one of the exercises, which is a, it's a super simple exercise where um, you'll, you'll have a group and you'll say, all right, for the next two minutes, I want you to clear your mind. I want you to remove all thoughts and you can think about anything that you want, but you just can't think about a white buffalo. You can think about any thought in the world, let it come into your mind. Just don't think about a white buffalo for the next two minutes. Mm-hmm. And you go through this exercise and every single person inevitably can't stop thinking about a white buffalo. So if I were to say you can't eat this you know, particular food group, your brain is going to go there over and over and over again. So you're fully relying on just willpower and discipline, which is a finite resource. And mm-hmm. the more that we drain that, then the more we um, kind of waste that mental energy, eventually we reach a tipping point, which is where you get the uh, kind of rebound effect and the pendulum swinging and over consuming that food. And then you try to eat all of it because you're like, well, I'm not going to get this anymore. I'm going to get it all in now. And then I'm going to cut it out again. And, and then it creates this, this vicious cycle. Um, one of the other things that you mentioned was, was negativity bias. And that's something that we all have inherently. So, you know, I've, I've heard statistics along the lines of negative thoughts are seven times more powerful than positive thoughts, which means that you could hear seven compliments and one insult and the insult is going to stick out more uh, in your brain. So your, your method of, of affirmations and kind of almost like the fake it until you make it, it's like say it until you believe it type of thing. Um, you are retraining your brain to shift to more positive thinking, which we all have the ability to do. Um, we're, we're kind of you know, we're born with this negativity bias from a survival standpoint. A lot of people will ask like, what's the use for a negativity bias? Well, it's to keep us alive um, from an evolutionary standpoint. If we, if there was something negative that could harm us, it was potentially life-threatening. So that's why it sticks out more in our, our brain. So a negative situation, we remember more than, than a positive one. Um, so we, we literally have to kind of rewire um, our brain to, to think more positively and to eliminate those, those automatic negative thoughts and to interrupt the negative feedback loop that occurs when we get caught in this mindset of like, well, I ate a food, so I feel guilty and I feel guilty. So I'm going to do this behavior that then reinforces that feeling and, and round and round it goes. So I think having awareness around that negativity bias is obviously important. And then, you know, some of the stuff that we've already discussed uh, to overcome that and retrain your brain to, to think to think more positively. Um, so before we wrap up, I just want to ask one last question. Um, for your own personal journey, how important has it been for you to have a coach uh, that you work with to kind of go through this process? And, um, you know, even though you are, you know, you're a coach yourself and you've obviously overcome a lot and accomplished a lot to this point, um, talk about what that's meant for you to have your own nutrition coach to work through all of these things with? I feel like the nutrition, everything regarding nutrition, like it goes so deep. Like it's not just food. It's not just numbers. It's not just a social event. There's all of the mental stuff that's behind it. And I've also found that even though I can be really like, I can see the whole picture with other people, I can't necessarily see the whole picture with myself. 
Um, and just my tendencies to like push and drive and go through things like it's been invaluable to have a coach to be like, pay attention to your stress. Like you need a recovery week. How about, you know, like just don't track anything. You know, I think those things where I don't always see everything that's going on in my own life in the same light. So, and the fantastic pop coach that I have April, um, you know, like I came in after I did the eat everything for a really long time. And then I went a different route and I had a trainer that like was like completely anti-carb and just being able to have someone that preaches balance and preaches just like life balance. And that's what I wanted. And that's, I mean, having a coach has been fantastic for that, for the mindset piece, for being able to bounce ideas off of, and for just the reality checks when things are crazy and overwhelming. It's just, that's been huge for me. and something that I like, honestly, never want to go without Yeah. just because it's so good to have someone in your own court investing in you, like pouring into you and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think the objective nature that we have um, or subjective nature that we have with ourselves and having an objective set of eyes and somebody who is looking at it from kind of like this, this 30,000 foot view and is seeing things that you wouldn't see in yourself. It's, it's so important. It's why I have coaches. It's why I fully believe in, you know, coaching is one of the best investments that you can make. And um, you know, for, for those of you who, you know, appreciate Danny's insight. She also runs some of our daily intention calls, which are totally free in our Facebook group. So I have to plug the group. Um, just search the personality diet and neurotype training on Facebook and join our group. Um, you know, Danny and JK, uh, who's also been on this show, they, they alternate in the, in the morning to uh, just, you know, kind of have conversation like this and talk about um, things that we are all dealing with to help on the mindset side of things. And then we, we set our intentions for the day and uh, just start, you know, in a really positive frame of mind, which has been one of the most, I would say, helpful additions to our community overall. I get more um, thank yous for doing that, which we added that resource really once COVID, you know, happened to, to really just invest more in the community and provide as much in, in the form of connection uh, and an opportunity for us to continue to communicate. And um, it's been probably the best decision and it's uh, everyone's like, please don't take this away from us. And now it's like um, everyone looks forward to it every morning. So if you guys want to join Danny on the morning calls, they're, they're pretty early. So you have to get up at, you know, 7am Eastern time and jump on those calls, but um, definitely get in on the group. And then Danny, if you wanted to just plug your Instagram, cause I, I know I'm going to butcher your IG handle. If I try to say, yeah, I was going to say, put it in the show notes. It's um, it's Energizer, but it's E-N-3-R-G-1-Z-E-R-21. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Definitely will go in the show notes. <laughs> so, and then if you guys enjoy this episode, please just tag us both um, on Instagram and let us know that this resonates with you. Danny, thank you so much for joining me on the show and we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. <laughs>